Hopefully there were some good thoughts that you had there. I'm sure we've had lots of experience with people that we would say, oh, that person is great at humility. And I'm sure we've had just as many experiences with people, hey, that person could use a little humility. But either way, we're learning, right? We learn from people who are proud, what not to be. We learn from people who are humble, uh, what is so appealing about it. Um, we're operating on this, this season right now, kind of building off of this quote by Chesterton that says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. So every week we're trying to find something that we can experiment with to kind of see if what God offers us as advice and um, his method of living, his plan, is actually better than anything else we can find out there. So this week I want to talk about humility. And all of us are going to relate to it in some way. Some of us may struggle with too much humility, maybe a wrong approach to it. Maybe you think lower of yourself and talk down about yourself in ways that God does not want, and you think that's humility. I hope that you'll be elevated in this conversation. Uh, there may be those of us here that have trouble thinking about anyone besides ourselves, though, and our opinions really are first and foremost in our mind in every conversation, and our preferences are first and foremost in our minds in every decision, uh, and maybe we need to take a step back. So wherever we are on that spectrum, I would just like to lay out a good biblical definition of what humility is. And in my mind, it's an exciting thing. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word. It might be a little bit of a, a downer word, being humble. It might be something that you find kind of like a put off. Put your preconceived ideas to the side and we'll just think about the word together. Um, I'm going to be asking you to join me in reading from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it a little bit at the beginning, and then we're going to go back to it, read a little bit more at the end, and I'm going to bounce around to a lot of scriptures in the middle. But if you have your Bible and you want to turn to that, uh, that's going to be a key point of our focus today. But I thought I would start by telling a story about uh, myself when I was young. Um, up until the age 12 for me, 12 and a half, give or take, I was my parents' smartest child. I was their most musical child. I was their most spiritual child. I was their favorite child. But it was kind of by default because I was an only child. And then my sister was born. And now all of a sudden there's competition. And she grows. And she's godly. And she's musical. And she's smart. So. As she's getting older, my competition is increasing. Now, which one of us is smarter? Which one of us is more musical? Which one of us is our parents' favorite? Should I ask my mom or dad, put them on the spot? Which one's your favorite? Who's your favorite kid? There's this weird thing that happens when we put ourselves in relationship to other people that it becomes comparison, it becomes competition. And if I were to answer that question, like, which one of us is smarter? Which one of us is more musical? Which one of us is more godly? Which one of us is more wise? I would answer it this way. All I can say is I love my sister. I love the heart that God has given her. She has a truly gentle heart. I love the musical ability that she has. It is awesome. Uh, I love her faith. I love seeing it in action. I love seeing her mind work and process. I love how she cares for people. She really is a lover of people. She's compassionate the way Jesus would want us to be. So when I look at my sister, I see traits that I love. And that is the key to actually understanding what humility really is from God's perspective. Humility isn't about putting ourselves down so that others can look better. 
Humility is about lifting up others above us, elevating others beyond where we are so that they can be prominent, so that they can be seen, so that they can be honored, respected. Sometimes people feel like we have to like talk badly about ourselves in order to make others look good. But I would say, if you really want to make someone else look good, make yourself look amazing and then tell everyone they're better than you. You actually do a disservice to someone to say, I'm the worst and this person's better than me. Well, they might not actually be all that good if all I have to get is like 1% awesomeness. But what if you're 90% awesome and you say this person's better? Humility isn't about putting ourselves down. Humility, biblically, is, is a, a relational term. It's a positional term, a descriptive term about two things in relationship to each other. Hierarchy. Which one's more? Which one's different? Which one's first? It's not a competition. Doesn't Jesus make this perfectly clear? He was humble, but did he talk badly about himself? Did he think that he was worthless? Did he try to make himself sound terrible so that people around him, by comparison, could seem good? Every time he said something about someone else, was it followed along with, yeah, but I could never? Right? Humility gets this weird sort of tinge to it. So I just want to bring our focus to humility being a relationship between us and others in which our only goal should be to elevate the other person and to glorify God. And I think if we're doing that, if we're elevating others into prominence, and if we're glorifying God, then we actually can stand secure in who we are. We can rejoice in who God has made us to be, and at the same time be celebrating the people around us. You know, it's a trap. Who's better? You're at work. Who's more effective of an employee? You or your coworker? You're in a marriage. Who's cleaner? You or your spouse? Who's smarter? You or your siblings? Like, that's the world's approach to competition, and it leads to hierarchy, where one is higher, one is lower. And Jesus came to undermine that, to say we're all made in the image of God, and we're all beautiful. And instead of comparing and putting down, take an opportunity to celebrate the beautiful things in others, and to recognize that it is only God that gave us those abilities in the first place. So I would say it this way. I would say, don't compare, compliment. Step out of comparison and just compliment. Bless someone else. Or another way to say it would be, don't just take credit, share credit. You see something in someone that you like, or you see something, you compliment them. Don't say, well, I could never, it wasn't me. I, well, I'm sure you had a hand in it, but also, what about those around you? Share credit. And just a simple statement of love can be so powerful. So I, I would challenge us to translate our, our, our search for humility into not winning and losing, but just loving the people around us. It automatically pops the balloon of pride when you elevate others by saying what you love about them. So we'll dig into all these things. Uh, but ultimately, comparison between us and one another is all sort of flawed because it's not us compared to one another. It's every human compared to God. And none of us really match up well in that. So whether you're one ant who's a little bit stronger than the next ant, we're still not the maker of the universe. And so that's where humility becomes wise. You realize it's not really all about us. And there may be people who are smarter, who are faster, who are stronger, who are more something. 
but all of us pale in comparison to who God is. And so humility is like settling ourselves down into the right relationship uh, with our maker, which then puts us into the right relationship with each other. And Jesus teaches us how to do this. So that Philippians passage that I wanted you to turn to, I just want to read two verses from it now, and then we'll come back to it in a little bit. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? So it doesn't say consider yourself insignificant. We know how weak we are. We should be self-aware enough to know that we can't do it all. But whatever our significance is, Recognize there's more in others. Consider others more significant. And it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, so look to our interests. Seek to have God work in our lives to be stable, to be godly, to be rooted, to be blessed. But also share, include, elevate those around us. You know what? Since it's a comparison term, like I said, I was an only child, so I was automatically my parents' favorite. I was also automatically the worst kid they had. I was automatically the naughtiest. There's no comparison. There's no way to be humble if you're the only one. This is one of the reasons why God can never be humble. Never mind that he's all-powerful and almighty. By his nature, humility doesn't apply. But categorically, humility doesn't apply, because what other God could you compare him to? God cannot be humble because there is no comparison. He's above all. If there were another God, then you would start to compare them in relationship to one another. That's not how it is with God. God, by nature and by category, uh, is one and only and above all. God cannot be humble. But we are clearly not God, and so we need to work on our humility um, And I thought the way we could do that is to think of um, building sort of a definition of humility, kind of understanding it, and then looking at five different places the Bible gives specific scenarios where humility can apply. Because if we can comprehend it, if we can be humble the way Christ is humble, then all of a sudden we will find that the pride which gets in our way, which makes a mess of our lives, our situations, is getting less and less because we're becoming more and more like Christ. And the humility that we show in ourselves more and more will be more winsome to the people around us. And we'll see people around us saying, I actually would like to know about a Jesus that's like that. This is why religious pride is so off-putting. It's so repulsive and like a magnetic kind of like pushes people away. Uh, But when we humble ourselves, it's so attractive. We're not trying to be better. Christians are not better than anyone. Christians are ones that recognize we need God more than anyone. And that humility makes us then inviting to others. Um, let's be careful in our, our religion and our faith practices that we elevate others in that as well and stay humble. So, five ways to kind of think about and build this definition of humility. Let's start with what humility is not. And I've mentioned a couple of these, but think through these with me. Uh, being humble is not an identity. I'm a humble person. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're a humble person in this room. The minute you do, you're not a humble person. I'm the one. I'm great at humility. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a truly humble person. By nature, we're not. So it's not an identity. It's actually a behavior. It's an approach. It's a pattern of speech. And it's those sorts of things. Humility is something we are striving to emulate like Christ. 
We don't want to think we have it, and we don't want to think it's too late for anybody. You know that person you think that is never going to be humble? It's not too late for them either. So it's not an identity. Uh, being humble is not just an emotion. I just feel low about myself. I feel uh, like I have low self-worth. I feel inferior. Nope, that is not humility. And that can kind of masquerade as a humility, but it's a false. That's not, was Jesus that way? And he's the ultimate example of humility. So in all these things, you can compare to Christ, compare to Christ, he's the perfect example. He did not feel badly about himself. <laughs> he felt great about himself. He felt badly about the sin in the world and the people who were suffering. And he was going to do something about that by elevating them, which is what's so humble about him. He stands as king of the world and then picks people higher. That's a beautiful thing. That's Christian humility. Um, being humble is not to be abused. To just be a doormat for anyone to say or do anything to us repeatedly or wrongly. It's not being an enabler. You do whatever you want. It's not that. You don't give up free will. You don't give up choice. You don't give up discipline. You don't give up wisdom to become humble. No. No, it's about how, how we are in relationship to others. Position, how are we positioning others around ourselves in our lives? Um, being humble is not just settling for an insignificant life. Did the Apostle Paul settle for an insignificant life? No. That man dedicated his life to traveling, to spreading the gospel. He planted, planted churches on multiple continents. We have so many of his letters that help us even dig deeper into what Jesus said. That is not insignificant. But he was humble because he associated with the lowest. And he celebrated all. He did not put himself over others. You know, it's not, not striving for excellence. You can be humble and be excellent. Now, humility would be like a world-famous surgeon who's working in a hospital. This man, this woman knows everything there is to know about their specialty field. And they turn to the intern next to them and they say, what do you think? And the intern like, knows biology 101. And they say three things wrong and they get two things right. And that world-renowned expert turns to them and picks out the thing they said right. And be like, that was good. The surgeon isn't threatened by someone else's knowledge, doesn't need to show how much more they know than someone else. They see what's beautiful in someone else and they highlight it. They elevate the good. That's humility. <laughs> World famous surgeon. Excellence is not the opposite of humility. I, I urge us to pursue excellence. God, what are you putting into? How can I pour my whole heart into it? How can your power manifest? But not so that I or we can be great, but so that you can do great things. And who are the people that it can lift up? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's a pretty excellent thing. And God didn't diminish himself at all by elevating sinners. Jesus did not diminish himself at all by dying for sinners. In fact, he shows his confidence, his security in himself. He's not threatened by celebrating others. The Greek word literally means like to be low down, down to the ground, like to bow down, to get low. Humble just means positionally, I'm just going to try to minimize myself, trying to maximize the people around me, and trying to magnify God. And if you want to put it into a simple phrase, that's kind of humility. It's minimize yourself, maximize the people around you, but always make it about God. Because who am I to compare to someone else? Who are you to compare to someone else? We're just people. All of us are the ants. We're talking about a God here. And if we put ourselves in the right perspective in relationship to Him, 
all of a sudden now he's free to move. Isn't that why he picked the nation of Israel in the first place? Because they were the smallest and the weakest. And he wanted to get the glory for doing mighty things. Haven't we recognized even with new hope we're in the season of big things, but we're small? That's how God wants it to be. So how can we in our smallness say, God, in your greatness, show up and do what we cannot do on our own? So yeah, those are some of the things that it's not. Let's continue to build this definition. Let's compare it directly to Jesus now, all right? Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A very famous statement, right? Do you remember what he says next? He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've talked about gentle a lot. That's the word meek. That's the description of strength. Like, how do you use your strength? Some people are overbearing. Some people are too passive. Some people have anger problems. Some people should stand up for themselves. You know, the spectrum of strength. So Jesus is saying, well, first of all, I know how to appropriate my strength. I know when to be gentle. He's good with kids. He knows when to be strong. He rebukes leaders, calls them hypocrites to their faces in public. He just knows when to stand up and when to let things go. But he's not just meek. He's also lowly. He's humble. So if meekness is a description of strength, humility is a description of prominence. How big do we make ourselves to be? How prominent are we in all of our conversations? When you're talking with others, are you the most important voice in that conversation? When you meet new people, are you more interested in hearing what they have to offer or in sharing all that you have to offer? When you see a child, does it, it, it strike you that, wow, there's a person I could teach a lot to? Or does it make you think, I wonder what they think? Like, what's our relationship to other people? Position of prominence. And so Jesus, that's where he's excellent. He elevated people who are outcasts in society. He elevated sinners. And that's why he can call himself lowly. Not because he's not the son of God. Not because he doesn't have all the power in the entire universe. Not because he's thinking badly about himself. Not because he has like an insecurity complex. This is not the Jesus that I know. He has all the love, all the wisdom, all the power. And with it, he looks to see how he can love the people around them and raise them up. Humility. Jesus is the perfect example of humility and it's about prominence he didn't seek to be seen first so many times he was trying to not be seen it's like don't tell people that this was me or don't tell anybody what i did i gotta sneak out of here i'm getting too famous in this spot and he's not trying to be prominent he's trying to lift people towards god and whose needs did he meet broken sad injured sick Angry, lonely, right? He's using his resources to elevate the people who have fallen as low as they can go. That's true humility. And if he had no strength, he'd be of no use to any of those people. But he had strength and he made them more prominent. I mentioned before, another way to think about it, kind of defining this word humility is, I think it has a magnetic pride and humility. They're flip sides of the coin, the good and the bad. You know, um, there's a spectrum between them, however you want to picture it in your mind. But the way I was picturing it is kind of like a magnet with a plus and a minus side. And um, when you're proud, you push people away. But when you're humble, you invite people in. I think this is how it works. Think about people that you would know that you consider to be very brilliant, like intellectually just super. Would you go to them and try to like share something you learned? 
Probably not. You just feel like the minute I say something, they're gonna know 10 more things than I about that. Like I, I don't have a place to speak in that. And so brilliant mind, if that brilliant person doesn't take the opportunity to invite people in, their greatness in that way acts as a deterrent for anyone coming to them. How about someone who's extraordinarily beautiful? You see someone who's beautiful, and if you're a guy and you see a beautiful girl, it's like a deterrent. Like, I couldn't go talk to her. If you're comparing yourself to someone else, guy to guy, girl to girl, you're like, well, look at how strong they are, how pretty. Like, it's a deterrent. Greatness is a deterrent because it creates this wall. Like, well, I can't compare. And instantly, we're doing the comparison thing again. Enter social media, right? Comparison. <coughs> but what if you could stand next to someone who's beautiful and be like, man, I just love how good you look today. And you love the thing about them that is excellent without comparison. What if you could sit with someone who's brilliant and be like, I love how your mind works. And just the simplicity of loving someone shows the security in yourself that it doesn't matter. You're not trying to compare yourself to them. This sounds more and more like Jesus. Unthreatened, confident, strong, but always looking for ways to lift those above. And this can be a danger for us because we want to look our best. And the moment we look our best, people feel like we're unapproachable. And we want to gain proficiency and excellence in our field. And the minute we're like a leader or an expert in our field, people feel like they can't comment. We want to like pursue our faith and we want to have these spiritual disciplines in our lives. And then as soon as we do, people feel like, oh, that's a Christian. They've got it all together. I, I can't relate. They don't fail like I fail. See, at the very place where we find any sort of like success or degree of success, that's a place where we're just going to become isolated and distanced from people. And so we have to actively pursue humility. That's, that's what I'm getting at here. Humility will not be natural because the minute you're good at something, you're going to separate yourself from others. And then you have more, it's going to feel good. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. Man, I remember when I started, I had no money in the bank and now we're doing okay. Right? The minute we get there, we have to stop and say, how can I exercise humility? How can I intentionally elevate the people around me? How can I intentionally elevate the name of Jesus or God? Because if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. It has to be sought after. We have to be actively humble. It's not our native tongue. It's not natural. Pride is natural. Humility is not. And it has this magnetic nature I encourage us to be the kind of magnets that draw people to us and point people to God. And maybe the last way I could kind of frame this, this concept of humility that I want us to really think about is um, there can be kind of like a scarcity mindset about prominence too, about success. If you're in a workplace, you feel like, well, if I don't speak up for myself, no one's going to know how good I am. I need to make sure that the boss knows that this was me that did this thing because the guy next to me is going to take all the credit or that lady down there is going to be happy to say that she came up with my idea. This happens all the time. And so we get defensive about our abilities because we want to make sure that we get what we deserve and that we get ahead. And so we become sort of like ego protective. We become sort of like, what if no one recognizes me? What if no one notices the good stuff that I'm doing? I, you see where Jesus would step into that? He deliberately wanted to avoid people knowing what he was doing because it wasn't about him, but he did it with excellence. If you think about those people that you know that are working for job security, I remember a person I worked with my very first job out of college, 
I was a rookie, I knew nothing about this computer industry. I was just trying to learn everything from like, where do you store your passwords in this computer system to how do I use this program? And his, his only, my boss, basically, my direct report person, um, would only say, figure it out. Now, I've never done it once. How am I supposed to figure it out? Tell me once, give me a chance to fail at it, but like, nope, figure it out. So I'm there wasting all my time because this person was afraid of their job security for the new person coming in. Would not help me at all. It was so frustrating. I don't care about your job. You'll be good at your job, then you'll keep it. I'll be good at my job. And I'll, like, there's not only one person who can be great here. It's very possible for two people to be great. Go back to me and my sister again. It's very possible for both of us to be great at music or at thinking or at loving God or loving people. Awesome. Why are we so worried that if the person next to us looks good, we're going to look bad? Why not try to look like Christ and then help them to look like Christ or everybody just looks good? What if you're all like Christ instead of jockeying for position? Instead of feeling subtly happy when someone gets knocked down a peg because it makes us feel a little bit up a peg. We know these feelings, they're tempting. It's tempting to feel that way. But I'm saying Jesus shows us a better way. And if we pursue humility the way Jesus did... We don't have to be afraid of our job security. Uh, James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Think about Joseph, humbled. God exalted him into a position of prominence. Right? Think about Daniel, humbled. God exalted him into a position of prominence. Think about Nehemiah, humble cupbearer. God exalted him into a position of prominence. Think about Esther, humble. God exalted her into a position of prominence. It was none of them who did that. God did that for them in his time because they humbled themselves before him. And in due time, he exalted them. So if we would just stop fighting to make ourselves look so good all the time, to prove that we're the best to everyone, so that our pride not be damaged by thinking we might fail or we might not look good or we might not say the right thing or someone might think less of us. But if we just spent our time elevating the people around us and elevating God, you don't think that God can give you that promotion that you want? Is that too hard for a God who made the universe? You don't think that if you just swallow your pride and don't have that quick comeback in that statement, God can't win the argument for you through your silence before you go on personal attack mode to the other person's character and integrity? What if you just took it? Can you think of anybody who took it? Can you think of someone who was on a cross just taking punishment quietly and proving his point the entire time so that God could exalt him at the right moment? Maybe this person could do that for us too. It's not scarcity. You don't have to worry about losing. If you're with God, we're not going to lose. But we have to be humble. We have to elevate others. That's the approach of humility. It doesn't mean we have to be bad at ourselves so that others can look good. No, be excellent. Be like Christ. And then lift others even higher than yourself. So pride is, is the opposite. It's the real problem. Our biggest problem is our pride. Our pride will ruin us. Your pride will ruin your marriage when you can't say you're sorry. When it like gets caught in your throat and you just can't spit it out, you're in trouble. Your pride will ruin that. Your pride will ruin your job. It'll ruin it. You lose your job. When you can't humble yourself before the boss who needs something or tells you to do something, when you treat others around you in a really uh, dismissive way, it'll ruin your job. 
Pride will ruin your eternity when you say, God, I don't need you. I've got this. So if you're not worried about maintaining any relationships or having any long-term success or getting to heaven eventually, then just let your pride have free reign. But if any of those things are important to you, then consider Jesus' example. Not just his example, his commands. Be humble. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before your spouse. Humble yourself before your fiancé. Humble yourself in the workplace. Hum not bad, you're worthless. Nope. Lift others up. Don't only think about yourself. Jesus was not thinking about just himself when he was dying for our sins so that if we believe in him, we might have eternal life. But pride is sneaky, right? So you're never done with it. You're never be done fighting pride. The next time you're successful at something, it'll creep into your mind. Man, I was pretty good at that. And maybe you were. How do you battle that with humility? Who helped me get there? Wow, I got a natural gift. Where'd you get that gift? How'd you get born with that gift? Man, I did great in that job. Who gave you that job? What person made the introduction to get you into that job? Man, I'm pretty smart. What parents gave birth to you in what part of the country in what era? And what school that you could afford gave you those smarts? It's okay to be smart. Just don't think that it's all about us. And don't think that we made it happen. We humble ourselves by elevating others. You have a great success, but like, man, I am so grateful to my boss, to my parents, to my education, to my country, to my church family, to those who are praying for me. I'm so grateful. It could not have happened without them. That's humility. Wonderful excellence and shared credit. Pride's rebellious, it's, it's ignorant, it's short-sighted, but it's also natural. I had this kind of concept early on in, in ministry that pride was like, like a struggle that some people carried more than others. Like one person struggles with gambling, but another struggles with drinking, another struggles with anger. We, you know, we kind of like isolate things and feel like certain people struggle in some areas more than others. Because uh, I would look at some people and I just feel like, man, that's just like a really humble person. And look at others and be like, man, that person is arrogant. Uh, but I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like we're all really bad at pride. Even the most humble appearing people are proud. Proud at the heart, proud from birth, proud to the core. And unless those really humble-looking people are actively turning that over to God and saying, I don't want to feel that way, they will be that way too. Maybe they just don't say it out loud. Maybe they're appearing humble, but their mind is a totally different story. Or even more sneaky, maybe they're really proud of how humble they are. Maybe they get complimented a lot on their humility, and that becomes a source of like internal confidence and pride. Pride's sneaky. Pride gets us. And the minute it does, it starts pushing us away. Our pride will push us away from God. Pride will push other people away from us. It's magnetic that way. We have to be constantly on the lookout. You have to fight your pride. It wants you back. Jesus saved you from it, and it wants you back. Do not let it have you. Here are the five scenarios that I see in Scripture for various scenarios. I'm just going to read the verse real quickly, make the point, and then... Um, kind of bring things together by going back to Philippians 2. 
In Romans 12, uh, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think in sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is Paul's way of saying what Peter said early on. More highly than you ought does not mean don't think anything of yourself. There's a quote, actually, I flipped by it. I want to go back and read it. There's one scholar who defined humility in this way. Um, They said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's really just not thinking of ourselves at all. That's cool. You get that? Let me read it again. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's really not thinking of ourselves at all. We're not, like, important in the equation. It's about others. So, Christian humility avoids... Self-importance. That's the scenario. And sometimes we feel like we are all that matters. The world certainly tells us, get what's coming to you. If you don't help yourself, who will? If you want something done right, do it yourself. Uh, You can do it. Put your mind to it. America, country of opportunity. Anything is possible. Uh, That leads to exaggerated self-importance. Humility says, just think of yourself as highly as you should. The things that God has given you, love those things. Celebrate. Use those things. And the things that you are not strong in, be honest. Talk about them. Work on them. Pray about them. Confess them. Another scenario has to do with our social circles. This one's in Romans 12 also. Uh, Paul writes, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Are the people you spend all your time with just like you? Or better. Probably. That's most of us. (laughs) Who are your friends that are super struggling? That you like to spend time with just to encourage? Who are your friends that don't have the economic stability that you enjoy? That you love spending time with? Or is it just the people that go on the same kinds of vacations as us that we bond with? Or the people that live in the same neighborhoods that we spend our time with and identify with? Are all our friends just like us? That's not humility. That's letting our pride become the magnet. Now we're with all of the cool kids, and everybody who doesn't make the cut just doesn't get in. And if you think that once we have our closed cliques of friends, that someone's going to be able to break into that bubble... That's so hard. Those of you who are visiting this morning or gone to church, it's like so hard to know how do I befriend someone? Isn't everybody here in a bubble? Like, don't they all know each other? Isn't everybody a best friend? It's hard to break into that. But how did Jesus do it? He invited everybody, especially those who wouldn't have gotten an invitation otherwise. I'll be like that. Have some really humble friends. Don't make friends just based upon social circles. Break them. Break those norms. Just break those boundaries. Have friends that it wouldn't make any sense to have be your friends. Associate with people that you wouldn't anyway otherwise know. That's what Jesus did. This is humility and it has to be intentional. We talked about religious arrogance. Uh, this is another example. It's another scenario where humility has to be practiced. Uh, Jesus tells us a very short parable. It's in Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. He said one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the good guy and the bad guy. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Our religion is such a put-off to people. Why wasn't Jesus's? He had no religious arrogance whatsoever. He elevated people around him. They came to him with disbelief, with questions, with bad theology. And he picked out the beautiful parts of them and spoke it and valued them and gave of himself so that they could take a step closer to God from wherever they were starting. We need to be that way as well. Uh, social conventions, how we elevate others. You know, we talk about sometimes we have a stage here. So are the people on the stage, the like leaders and we're the followers? Are they like the super Christians and we're like the bystander Christians? Like how do we, you know, someone who's like a really great prayer person, we'll call those people like prayer warriors sometimes, you know, a great prayer warrior. Like we hierarchy all the time. Um, encouraging us to think of loving things about people with no hierarchy. Jesus told another very short parable. He said that this way. In Luke 14, Jesus told a parable about those uh, who were invited uh, to this meal he was at. So he's speaking about it, right? He's telling a parable about an actual incident that he's observing. Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, both, will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Is there Jesus' advice on how we're to treat social situations? When we go to a party, or maybe when you're like even in the church here before the service starts, do you look around for who might be sitting by themselves? Or whose head might be kind of like hanging a little bit? Maybe it's been a tough morning. Maybe it's been a tough year. Right? Jesus would say, instead of coming and, and trying to find something you know, that elevates you, Go and look and say, how can you elevate someone else? Maybe you go and you choose to sit with someone that you don't know or talk to someone or pray with someone who you just feel like might be able to use it. Is it about us or is it about God? And the last one is about leadership. Um, ministry leadership in churches and leadership just at any level is also its own kind of like barrier and isolation. People look at leaders and think of them differently. Uh, Jesus says, well, a leader is supposed to be a person who is serving all. So we have that flipped upside down too. Luke 22, a uh, dispute arose amongst Jesus' disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentile exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become like the youngest and your leaders as ones who serve. For who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Isn't it the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. It's like, how can we make ourselves small? How can we become smaller? 
Who said the line? And I know the answer to this, but I want you to think about it. I must decrease so he may increase. Who? John? John who? John the Baptist. Yeah, right? There was a man who was surrounded by crowds of people who thought he might even be the Messiah. Loved him. He had disciples. He had followers. He had notoriety. And all he did was exalt Christ. Christ must become more. But we can't compete with Jesus. We shouldn't try to. He said, I must also become less. John made less. John made himself smaller so Christ could become more. John sent some of his disciples off with Jesus to become his first, some of his first disciples. Can we practice that mentality? Minimizing ourselves, maximizing others, magnifying God. Let's go back to Philippians. I know you've had your finger in there for a while. Probably turning blue, pinched in the Bible, holding that spot for so long. I can't stop talking. But let's read it. Let's read it together. Philippians 2. This is a letter from Paul to an early church and um, early Christians. And it's profound. It's beautiful. I encourage you to read the book of Philippians this week as something to meditate on. Read the whole letter. Just read it through. It's not super long. It wouldn't even take you that long to read. But you'll get a glimpse into the mind of a mentor in his church plant, a pastor in his people, brother with brothers and sisters in this place. And the advice that he gives is very encouraging. Philippians is a very encouraging book, um, letter. I encourage you to read it. We're just going to take a small piece of it, and that's chapter 2. Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. I'd like to just read through verse 11. Let's just let the Word of God speak to us this morning. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now have this mind amongst yourselves, Christians. This mind which is yours only in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see? It's all just right there. It's all right there. How we treat one another, how we think about ourselves, imitating Christ, humility, humbling himself so that God can do the exalting. Such exalting, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. But not just for Jesus, not just for a man's sake, not just for the Messiah's sake, but for Messiah as the Son of God, for God's glory. All to the glory of God the Father. Now Jesus came to save the world. He came to elevate 
the world. He came to elevate sinners from their lowly place. And so because he humbled himself, God elevated him to the highest place. This is how we're supposed to respond to Jesus. This is how we're supposed to think about him. Do we, does Jesus have the highest place in our thoughts? When we think, do we prioritize what he says and what he thinks over anything that we think? That's what it means to elevate him. Humble yourself below Jesus. Because I'm telling you, if we try to prioritize ourselves the way we think, the way things, think things should be done, the way we want to do things, the, like, all of a sudden, he's no longer acting as our justifier, as our Messiah. We're treating him as sort of like an optional life coach that if we decide to take his advice, like Jesus doesn't give us options in that way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So with Jesus, we humble ourselves, we elevate him. His thoughts should take precedent over, your, over yours, over mine, over ours. Feelings, our emotions, we should feel the way Christ feels. Do we elevate him in our affections? Is he the thing we care the most about? Because if not, then we're elevating our own affections over his. I like this more than I like what Jesus says about that. I like doing this more than I like his command saying not to do that thing. I need, I want, I feel. Okay, okay. Where does that fit into what Christ says? Is it a perfect match? Then you want and feel what he wants and feels. Amen. Go for it. But if it anyway competes, we need to elevate him above ourselves so that he can lead us. Our decisions and priorities, do we elevate Christ? When you're making a decision on a car to buy or anything to do, do you pray and say, Jesus, give me wisdom? That you're elevating his wisdom over your own. When we're talking with friends, do we elevate Christ in our speech? Do we bring him up? Do we talk about him? Do we talk about how much we love him? You don't have to compare with Jesus. It's not a competition. You'd lose that hands down. I'd lose that hands down. Just say the things we love about him. Make him visible, right? The concept of humility is a positional thing. So make Christ more prominent. Put him forward. Christ forward. Thinking, decision-making, speech, actions, money, managing, everything. Just put Christ forward. You're allowed to be in the equation. He's invited us to participate with him. But put him first. Put him forward. That's humility. How do we position ourselves in relationship to Christ? The most common way is just hoping that he'll save us for eternity. So we want a Messiah, but we're reluctant to accept him as our Lord. That's the most common. That's, that's so many Christians, and, and all of us, I think, can fall into that at times. I encourage you to treat Jesus as the one telling you what to do and how to do it. The one who's in charge and the one who knows better. The one who's been there and done that and has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly and is going to give you the safest way through the mess that is life sometimes. And if you're willing to make him Lord, that's the most prominent position possible. He's just in charge. He's in charge of your life. He's in charge of your decisions. I encourage us as Christians to be willing to go to that depth in our faith. Not to consider Jesus like a buddy. He's a peer. You know, did a pretty good job at it, and now we're trying to do a pretty good job at it. And please don't put yourselves above him. I know Jesus said, but I think. You're going to find out. 
and his way is the way. So I encourage us to like a deeper level of submission, putting Christ in a more place of prominence and submitting to him as Lord so that our lives can look like his, which is ultimately what he promises and what will happen. So this is where I stop all my talking and give you a chance to kind of process and think. Um, I'd like you to turn back to your groups and we'll just take a few minutes and kind of think out loud. What would it look like for us to elevate others this week? What would it look like for us to elevate Jesus this week? To elevate God this week? Uh, what are some aspects of this that you feel like, all right, that's what I'm going to experiment with? Take a minute, share some thoughts, and then we'll move into communion.